Hello, and welcome back to the BenHeck.com podcast. I'm your host, Ben Heckendorn. And I am Parker Dillman. Yes. Today's episode, we have some topics. Uh, don't we always have topics, though? No, not always. All right. So today we have self-driving cars. We're totally experts to talk about this subject. Totally. I've built so many self-driving cars, I can't even remember how many I've built. The second topic, this was Parker's idea, uh, is EA competing with itself. And I think you thought of this because of Apex Legends coming out so close to Anthem. Correct. And also the Battle Royale version of Battlefield Five. Yeah, and this actually happened last year, too, with Battlefront 2 and... Battlefield 1, I guess this was like two years ago, Battle, Battlefront 2 and Battlefield 1 and I think, what was it, the Call of Duty game that came out that year as well? Now, uh, Battlefront 2 came out the year after Call, uh, Battlefield 1. So what came out? EA Titanfall 2 released really close to that's right. uh, it's Titanfall Battlefield 2. 1. Yeah. That's yeah. the game I'm remembering. Okay. Well, and then you said it's kind of like Disney where like Disney is releasing so many movies. Well, because like, they own like, all the movies now. Well, yeah, I mean, there were there. It's like they have uh, Avengers Endgame. Like three weeks later, they have the Aladdin remake. A month after that, they have the Lion King remake. It's like it's ridiculous. Don't get me uh, started yes. on that Aladdin remake, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that movie is going to be really freaking weird. It looks like a shot-to-shot remake, like the Lion King is. Yeah. Well, anyway, and then the third topic is new retro 8-bit computers, like the Gigatron. Yes. So Parker doesn't seem to like them, and I think they're kind of cool, but are they useful? So we're going to discuss. Yes. All right. So shall we jump back to self-driving cars? Sure. So everybody is talking about self-driving cars and how it's the future. Do you think it's the future? I do not think it's the future. Why not? I, there's a there's a fundamental problem with how self-driving cars are currently being designed. What's that? It's it's really the sensor technology. Um because a a self-driving car needs to be better than a human driving a car, right? Yes, because that's the idea is like you want to make it safer by taking out stupid people. Yes. And uh, well, I wouldn't say even stupid, just distracted. Well, I guess allowing yourself to become distracted is stupid. So, there's oh, that. God. Yeah, I was behind. <laughs> I was behind this lady. Yes. Well, not yesterday, a couple days ago and at a stoplight and they were they were like, like looking down like they were bobbing their head and looking at their cell phone. And it's ridiculous. Like they, they looked up every few seconds to see if the light had changed red yet or changed green. And and then, of course, when the light did change, they didn't move and I actually honked my horn like I was from New York or something. Uh, it's kind of nuts. Like if people went around taking a swig of beer at every stoplight, I mean, people would go crazy. But I think that should be legal. Fine. I think it is legal in some states. Like you can drink and drive as long as you're not drunk. I, I need to move those states. <laughs> I think it's like Montana and Florida. Well, it makes sense in Montana because there's a whole bunch of nothing. And I guess that's where Florida man <laughs> comes from. Florida man. Yeah. Um, um, 
So yeah, yeah. So on self-driving cars, the yes. the problem is the sensor technology is still not there yet. And I think about that with with snow. It's like snow. It can be flying through the air. It can be on the ground. It's not. It's not really a solid. It's not a liquid either. Like how would a laser beam bounce off of it if you're using lidar? Yeah, and that's the thing is like, well, people are like, well, people, humans are not good at driving in snow either but the thing is you can still drive in snow and get to where you're going whereas a the current self-driving car technology just plain does not work if it's raining outside right which is a huge fundamental problem of like living here in houston where it rains almost every other day which means okay now you have this city that has the most amount of commuters in the nation can't go to work when it rains <laughs> because they just they just freak out when it rains well yeah because it's or if they had self-driving cars self-driving yeah. cars can't work because the sensor technology is just not there yet the, the the trick is the human brain and eyeballs make up a lot of information and is generally correct most of the time when it does so yeah it, a lot of it works on assumptions like that's why Humans are so good at picking out faces or they'll see faces, you know, in any random shape because we're, you know, programmed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And sure, like, if you have enough horsepower in your car, you can do the same thing with, you know, machine learning. And that's what they're trying to do is basically give it enough sensor data and then it assumes, you know, enough information. The problem with assuming that is you end up not being as good. You basically be as good as a human would be. Um, yeah. So in order to make it adaptive, you have to introduce the limitations of a human or the characteristics. Yeah. There's, there's an interesting um, study out there about robots that pick up objects. And this is a reason why Amazon still has humans picking and packaging boxes is because that's a mm -hmm. very, very hard problem for robots to do. Now, if everything's the same size or same shape, then yeah, you can design a robot to do it really well. But so Amazon has uh, uh, mixed storage. Like they'll have a DVD next to a bowling ball. Yes. And so yeah. how do you design a robot to do that? And there's a interesting study out there. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but they designed a robot that basically has two grippers and it will look at using radar. It looks at a object, scans it basically, and then simulates picking it up a billion times, essentially, with different <laughs> different um, methods. And then it mm -hmm. tries to pick it up, which is basically kind of what your brain does, just a lot faster. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a little baby grabbing things. Yeah, and so the, the thing about it is, it's. It's got to like I think like eighty six percent success rate, which is pretty good for a robot now. Because before this, it was like thirty percent. So they've got. But the thing is, a human can do it a hundred percent of the time. Well, that's why if you think about Amazon warehouses, the robots bring the bins to the humans, and then the humans actually pick. Yes. So yeah. the robots do the moving and repetition, but the humans are you know at the end they're like picking up the objects because you think about it, like you or i if you see like let's say there's a dvd box it's like flat and got square edges like we know the best way to pick that up is to like touch the edge of it slide it against something and then tilt it up mm -hmm. right but how do you teach a robot that yeah 
it's so what they were trying to well that's what they were doing with the simulations is the robot was simulating how to pick it up multiple different ways and then mm-hmm. and then it would do it but in those simulations it was doing something they were the researchers were doing something interesting where they were randomizing the physics slightly and so they basically it was fuzzy physics and right. so this is this is a complete simulation at a computer, right? Not using correct. any physicality. Yeah, it's a complete okay, simulation. Okay, so they can change physics. Yeah, and yes. so it can change the physics. So it fuzzes it, and it does that to get around errors in the sensors and errors mm. in its positioning of the arm. And this kind of technology idea is it's not new, but it's kind of new in this field of fuzzing kind of your data a bit to basically wash out um, – absolute positioning errors and you're starting to see this stuff in self-driving cars as well that's what humans do i mean you ever see one of those examples where they show you a sentence and they've removed like two-thirds of the letters but you still can understand exactly what the sentence is saying yeah it's similar because your mind fills in the gaps yeah yeah and why can't they just have i guess we're talking about pick and place machines not self-driving cars but why can't they just have like a vacuum arm like how a pick and place machine works like just oh, they, they, they do grab so okay. one of the arms is a grabber and one is a suction cup the problem with the suction okay. cup is you you get to an object that's made out of foam and now you can't yep. pick it up <laughs> right um yeah uh, another thing it's like vehicles are already like stupidly expensive nowadays. And aren't they just going to get more stupidly expensive if they can drive themselves? Probably. But the thing is, the thing is though, is all the hardware require besides the AI brain, of course, but all the hardware mm-hmm. is already built into these cars that, that, um, are, that already exist. Like, the processing power? No, no, I'm I'm not saying the AI brain part, but all the mechanical. Oh, parts. you're talking you're talking about like the distance sensors and lane guidance and all that jazz. Well, not just that, but like controlling the steering. That is. Oh, okay, that right. Is so a, if a, a a car could drive itself already, well, yeah, yeah mechanically clearly. a car can already do it in terms of applying brakes, the throttle, steering itself. So that's not an added cost. So you're looking at adding cost in terms of sensors. And AI processing power. Right, right. Well, some people have postulated that if you had a self-driving car, since most people's cars just sit around most of the time, you could pimp out your car and your car could go do Uber while you're at work. You ever hear that idea? Yeah, I've heard of that idea. I also like the idea of you never have to pay parking fees because your car would just drive around like the block a couple times while you go shopping or eating. Doesn't that contribute to like pollution sure but it's cheaper <laughs> yeah yeah well it's kind, of, it's kind of like yeah if you're if there's two of you and one of you has to run into a store you drop the person off and then the other person just drives in circles like uh, like picking someone up at the airport yes the airport loop yep same same similar idea well some other people have said that you know you could just have a bunch of self-driving cars and they'd be communal so they'd basically be robo ubers which is i'm sure what uber wants yeah yeah and speaking of that though um this is kind of a side topic but i always thought like a good solution for um 
for public transportation would be kind of like Uber, how Uber pool works. Have you ever used that, Ben? Uh, I haven't, but I'm aware of how it works. Yeah. So Uber pool, for those that don't know, is a, a, uh, it's like carpooling with Uber. So it costs a little bit less, but it takes a little bit longer. And basically as you, so you say, I need a ride on Uber pool. Someone who already has people in their car will be rerouted to you to pick you up. And then you might have to wait, you know, a couple extra stops as people get off and on or walk a couple blocks or walk a couple blocks. Um, so I always thought I've heard though that really... I've heard the drivers hate Uber pool because they make even less on it. Yeah. But I was thinking that'd be really good. But replace um, him with a robot and who cares? I've also heard that Uber actually cannot become profitable until it gets rid of its employees. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. They don't make money. They don't make money. Startups, man. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they'll have a public offering, I'm sure. But and so instead of like a giant bus that has a predetermined route, um, you would have smaller buses that, you know, you say, hey, I need a ride now. And then it would come. And so it's a public transportation kind of setup. Um, that some cities get around that sense. by dense, you know, by having more density. But like here in Houston, like the bus system is fairly extensive, but it's pretty garbage because it never goes where you need to go because how big the city is mm, yeah. but if you had something like that it would that would work out so i'm not thinking like one vehicle like an suv i'm thinking like a miniature bus that holds like at least 20 people that this could work really well so oh yeah so my friend mike was here and he helped me install my vanity and then uh then it started snowing this morning because of course last night we just got drunk after we installed it and passed out. Um, but anyway, he, he had to drive back in the snow. Of course, he has that four-wheel drive Jeep. And uh, I'm like, hey. I texted him. I'm like, hey, did you make it back? He's like, yeah, but I saw cars in the ditch all over on the way home. And then we were talking about it. And we were kind of thinking that have all these automatic systems in cars made people worse drivers? And then I said to Mike, I'm like, maybe because we grew up driving crappy cars, we're, we don't rely on things as much, like anti-lock brakes. And I wonder if that actually causes cars to be, you know, or people to be worse drivers. So I have looked at the studies for that, and the driver assist that we have now does reduce mm -hmm. accidents. Okay. Um, All right. Now, it but doesn't about... make drivers – you're talking like in snow, which, right. which I don't well, think but... any kind of system will help you drive in really bad snow or ice. Well, l let me bring up one example, like analog brakes, right? So since we've been having really bad weather lately here in Wisconsin, you know, I'll, I'll go out on the road and like there was like for about a week, like this street out here was basically just ice because mm -hmm. the city, the city or whoever ran. I don't think they ran out of salt, but they, you know, they don't emphasize the side streets. Uh, so anyway, I'd, I'd be driving someplace and I'd be like, mm, I wonder how slippery it actually is. And I either slam on the brakes or stomp on the gas to see what the tack does, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even with that, like brakes, it, you can you can feel it trying to do it, but it's not perfect, right? Correct, yeah. And like what Mike was saying today after he had a snowy drive back home, he was like, he's like, I just drive like I always assume my brakes are about to go out. Because, you know, you don't <laughs> tight tail people and stuff. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's – it's people – I just think a majority of people just are not very good drivers, and that's the problem. I would I would say the best thing you we could probably do for driver safety is 
either yearly or you know once every two years like you have to retake the class right instead of uh you take it when you're 16 and then you have your license until you're dead i i think that would get a lot of pushback but i would say once because self-driving cars it will happen it's just i think the current iteration people are always like 10 years it's going to be like how nuclear uh fission is is it fission or fusion uh fusion one. fusion yeah so <laughs> it's like it's always five years down the road it's going to be mm-hmm. similar and yep. <laughs> i would say self-driving cars won't happen until they are they don't have to be perfect but they have to be definitely better than people and it has to be where you can get into the garage into your vehicle punch in an address and you show up at that address without having to do anything you'd use your phone app Oh sure, yeah. You you you'd probably pair it with it, but but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Those self-driving cars are going to be on the roads with real drivers. Yeah, it's fine. See, if every car on the road was self-driving and the weather was perfect, blah blah blah. In theory, you would probably have almost no accidents or very few accidents. But so, do you remember that? Did you see that? Uh, demonstration video of the google assistant that called restaurants yeah yeah and it pretended to be a human you would kind of need that so like the self-driving car would in some ways kind of have to drive like a human so it could blend in with the human drivers correct um speaking of that did you hear about the open ai stuff where it, it um if you type a sentence it will predict what the next sentence will be and it's pretty they actually had to like pump the brakes on the project because how scary it's getting of like how much it can replicate a human like right uh, well our, our our computer cpus do that now like one of the big speed boosts that they have since they can't get the silicon much smaller is they have predictive threading and branching like the cpu predicts what it thinks the next instruction is going to be so it can actually get itself into a better state to execute it as quickly as possible correct yeah. pipelining man well, well, Google or Gmail does that now. It'll like automatically like finish your sentences. It's like, oh, we finished each other's sentences. It never. I've actually turned that off because it was not like it was completely worthless for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have it activated because, well, it's just like uh, what's that called? Uh, Visual Studio, where you can like hit tab to like accept and like just you know tab tab and you know accept the options mm-hmm. yeah so here's a question if you're in a self if you're in your self-driving car can you drive home drunk with it or ride home drunk currently no but i would say in the future if once a self-driving car is better than a human and all that jazz then yeah i would say that why not because it's at that point it's like a cab or an uber Right. It's, it's, I read that in some large cities, like drunk driving arrests are down like 30% since Uber has been around. It's pretty insane. That's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it would be nice to like just sit in your car and relax and, you know, because I, I don't see. Here's the thing. I don't think America will ever fully support mass transit or at least not in the near future um, for a couple of reasons. Like we first of all, we love our cars. It's also a physically large country, so you know you need cars to get around. Mm-hmm. Another thing is like this: living in cities, 
has gotten so expensive. It's forced people to move further from the cities, i.e. the suburbs. And that actually is what creates a lot of the, a lot of the commuting. So, you know, those people need their cars, you know? Yeah. San Francisco, when I was there, it wasn't that bad. It, when you were downtown San Francisco, I took public transit everywhere. And then when I, when I lived in Austin, I took public transit a lot. Your city needs to be set up for, well, for traditional public transportation. Your city needs to be set up for it. And there's even cities that have it, like San Francisco and, and Austin, it's not perfect at all. And well, there's just most too much. Most have a bus service. Yeah, yeah, but they're not perfect, and they don't go everywhere. Like, if you need Nothing's to go to perfect. X place, you just have to be hopeful that the bus stop is within a couple blocks. So what you're saying, if you had something like a, a short bus Uber pool, it could be – well, Uber pool doesn't I, – I would I would say Uber pool is probably no more accurate than a bus stop because I've, I've looked at it before. It's like – I think I was in Chicago, actually, and they're like, hey, would you like to try Uber pool? And I'm like, no. But it was like uh, – <laughs> basically, you might have to walk like up to four or five blocks to get to like a generalized pickup location. Like you, you kind of walk – someplace where it's easiest for the car to pick you up yeah sure and i don't see how that's much different than a bus stop well you don't need the infrastructure for that system you don't need bus stops you don't need routes it will end up being faster because if you Mm -hmm. miss if you miss a bus you sometimes you gotta wait 30 minutes if it's a route that doesn't have a lot of traffic right so that's what people don't realize about like like here in houston you buses lose. always do the same loops no matter what. I mean, it doesn't matter if there's zero people on board. Yeah, but a lot. So here in Houston, if a route doesn't have a lot of people on it, they just put less buses on it, which makes it even longer to wait for a bus on that route. No, it's the same thing they did with uh, air travel. Correct. Like they don't they don't run nearly as many flights as they used to. So that's that's you need to get around the issue of low density and then people not wanting to wait because like well, again, for, if you, for if you, me to go to work it takes me 20 minutes to drive to work with traffic it would take me two hours to take a bus one way one way and so there's a huge difference in time sync in so you're talking like four hours of my day commuting on a bus or 40 minutes right. Yeah, that's that's an insane like four hours. That yeah, that's ridiculous, and that's why you have a car. Exactly. But yeah, but another thing that you could do, um, if you had like a self-driving bus, is if it's tied to an app, you could run the routes based off demand. You know. Correct. And yeah, as you say, one of the reasons buses take so long is because no matter what, they're going to just do a loop of all these stops. But if there was an app, they'd be like, hey, there's no one at this stop. I don't need to go there. I can, I don't know, take a shortcut or something. Yep. That's kind of the idea. Well, you don't have a route. That's the thing. Your buses don't have routes. They just spawn at the bus depot in the morning and sprawl out and then come back at night. So are you going to make your Jeep Wagoneer uh, self-driving? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was a pretty funky... Uh, ceiling you put into it oh the headliner oh thank you yeah did that coroplast uh 
morph uh, uh, like you hoped it would? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what Ben's talking about is I had to redo the headliner in my 1990 Jeep Wagoneer because the original headliner got wet and moldy and gross. So the original headliner is like cardboard and with foam. It would have been it would have been in bad shape even if it didn't get moldy and gross. It don't, never didn't last that long. Yeah, so it's like thirty years old now. Um, oh, and I, I I suggested that you use political political sign material because I had forgotten the name of it. Yeah. So <laughs> so coroplast is that political sign material, which is like corrugated plastic. It's like plastic cardboard. Yeah. And so what I did is I took the cardboard out and took all the foam off of it and then traced it into the coroplast. I bought sheets at a local plastic store mm-hmm. um, and then cut it out. And then to make the folds, because like the edges like fold down, I only cut through one side of the coroplast and then let the other side be like the hinge. Yeah. And it worked great. It was. So you probably, you probably cut it on the outer edge so it would curve inward with correct. your car, right? Correct. Yep. Neat. And then I just sprayed glue all over it and put the foam down and dude, you, you use five cans of what spray adhesive? Yeah, that was definitely the biggest expense because each can is like fifteen bucks. Yeah, they don't give that stuff away. Yeah, and like you can use cheaper, like you can get like three M, like Super Seven Seven glue for like five bucks a can. That's what I usually use. Yeah, but not I don't do car stuff with it. Yeah, and that the problem with that stuff is it doesn't last under heat cycles a lot. And so mm. you use like the actual 3M headliner glue, which can last, you know, te- a decade under heat cycles. So, but that's also really especially expensive. if it's on a roof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, what they do in professionals, they buy it by like the gallon and then they put it into a spray gun. And so you well, get more what, efficiency. Remember what we learned when we went to the Tesla plant? Like, what was that, four years ago? Oh, like, they don't. So they, long ago. They, they, that wasn't that long ago. It feels like it. That was the last time I went to make repair. <laughs> Actually, was that 2014? Yeah. It was five years ago. It was that long ago? I guess you're right. Because that was the same trip where Roy and I drove in the middle of nowhere to go to that pinball convention. And then we came back at like 2 a.m. And then we went to the Tesla plant at like 10 a.m. <laughs> yep. Anyway, what we learned was modern cars are basically glued together. Yeah, every single... A, um, trim piece is pretty much glued or they use what's called VHB, very high bond tape. Like yep. all that crap is taped together. Or glued. And they only, they only weld it enough to hold the pieces together while the glue cures. Yeah, if you're talking about the frame, that's correct. Yeah, the, or chassis. Yeah. Yep. That was kind of kind of an interesting thing to learn. Yep. Well, it's, that's the thing is welding takes time and glue just works. Yeah, and like these new glues are just ridiculously strong. Yeah, the problem is uh, trying to fix it later. <laughs> Can't. Well, you're not supposed to fix Teslas. You know, it's an iPhone of cars. Can't Can't a Tesla pull itself out of its parking spot and pick you up right at the front of the mall or something? They can do that already, can't they? Kind of. Yeah. 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 That's. I, I see a few Teslas around here in Madison every so often. So yeah, I I think self-driving cars will get there. Mm-hmm. I just think the current iteration of sensors are not there yet. We don't have enough. We don't have enough knowledge and of force for, you know, the AI stuff yet to work correctly. 
Uh, right. According to Elon Musk, it's just a hardware problem, and you just throw more hardware at it. Well, um, according to Elon Musk, the Hyperloop's a good idea. Yeah. So. Well, here's something I think about with that. Um, like, a lot of Americans, or I'm assuming people in the world, work as a driver of some sort, like a truck driver. Something. I think truck drivers are, like, the largest percentage of the uh, jobs in, like, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Rust, Rust Belt. And um, it seems like if you really wanted to automate, you'd probably – the first thing you would do is figure out how you could fire as many people as possible. <laughs> and so – it is true. I mean, you, know, you, you already right. have a You're problem right. in the. You already have a problem in the middle class where a lot of blue collar workers, you know, either can't work or they get hooked on drugs. That the whole opiate thing, and uh, it could be exasperated if the trucking industry were to. Well, when the trucking industry becomes automated, what I could see happening because we were talking about weather conditions is picture the United States like a circuit board. You know how the traces always go one way on one side and one way on the other. Mm-hmm. I could see the robo trucks going east to west because the weather would be more consistent that way. So basically take basically start in California and then drive I-10 all the way to Florida. Yeah, or maybe go to Chicago and then there'd be drivers, human drivers. And they do the last that, mile kind of thing. The the last mile or they would drive north, you know, ice road trucker stuff up into the snow. So the only jobs that might be left for the human truck drivers would be, you know, shitty weather jobs. Yeah. You know, but yeah, you're right. You could, you could have a whole depot, like the robo truck comes to the edge of Chicago. And then of course, yeah. Or yeah. Driving through a city like Chicago or New York in a truck is horrible. Like that's another thing. Like, you know, a human understands other humans, you know, you know, they're all assholes. A, a computer doesn't. So yeah, you'd have like, you might have a, a last mile thing where the robo trucks come to the border of Chicago and then the truck drivers fight each other to jump in the truck and drive it the rest of the way to downtown. I could see before self-driving cars get to that point where they call it level five when level five is you punch in the address and the AI can get you there hundred percent of the time. That's mm-hmm. like level five. Level five is like, it, you cannot distinguish it from a human being basically. Right. Um, I think we're at like level one or two <laughs> right now. Um, but I would say around level three, you could probably get to where, the truck driver is in the in the in the truck, and the AI drives it pretty much all the time on the freeway, which would be really really good and reduce. Because um, a lot of times, why, with truck accidents, why pay a why pay a person to sit in a, in a truck if they're not doing anything? You got a liability issue there still because it's still not as good as a human. But fatigue wise, you're because think about like cruise control and how like nice that is and how. Um, mm-hmm. how much it takes off you for maintaining, like just that's, that alone reduces how much fatigue you have as a driver. Well, what if okay, you can also take care of steering? Now you're yeah. reducing the fatigue on your driver and reducing your accident rate by probably tenfold. And something else to think about: truck drivers have really stringent guidelines they have to follow. They have to keep log books. They're not supposed to drive more than like eight hours a day. All these things they have to like get a certain amount of sleep. What if, you know, they drive eight hours a day and then they push a button and the truck drives, you know, 
rest of the time. Yep. Well, that's the thing is what you could do is it drives on the freeway and then you show up in Chicago and then you, the driver takes over. And then you, you also got to think of like the infrastructure. It's like you still, if the self-driving truck shows up to a love station, um, you know what a love station is? Do they have those up there? You mean where lot lizards are? So a love station, that's just a, a brand of truck stop that we have. Oh, I thought you're Texas. talking about truck stop hookers. <laughs> well, that too. You're going to have to have self-driving lot lizards. Well, but you were talking about the, the the levels of self-driving cars. So yeah, yeah. So if you're, so, just, if you're just driving down, a, hold on. If you're just driving down a highway, that's a lot simpler than driving through a city. Correct. correct. So again, long haul, you know, cross, you know, interstate trucking. Yeah. And so would probably be the first place you could implement it. Yeah, exactly. And so you're implementing it there. You you still have a driver because when you, when you you the driver is going to need to take the vehicle off into a truck stop to fill it up and do maintenance, do all the physical Well, robots can take those jobs too. Well, eventually, but right now, that's a lot of infrastructure to still have to build. And that's the thing is, all you got to do is pop in all the sensors and and the control schemes, and then the trucks are fine. But all the other infrastructure has got, you know, decades behind to catch up. That makes sense. And so, yeah, so the truck driver, you know, pulls off to, to the truck stop he gets a little hand job and fills up the truck and back on the road with the ai Chris, remember that video of the uber car hitting the bike oh yes the guy on the bike yeah there was a human in that vehicle and it didn't help a bit well because the human wasn't paying attention at all <laughs> again why would they i mean they're not you know well that's the problem is drive. exactly and so that's where i think the first step will be will be commercial drivers that are trained yeah on the system that's going to be you know, where the if, first big implementation will it, be so think about it we have people looking at the, you know checking their cell phones at every stoplight how do you think it's going to be when they have a self-driving car like they're not even going to look out the window no they're just going to look at their screen in front of them all the time mm-hmm. yep all right well do you want to move on to the next topic yeah all right so you say that ea is competing with itself correct now that's because they released Apex Legends out of the blue, like, like what, two weeks before Anthem comes out? Yeah, like uh, uh, two to three weeks from Anthem. And they did the same thing with Titanfall, as we said earlier, and Battlefield 1. And... Battlefront. No, it was oh, no, yeah, no, yeah, you're right, Battlefield You, you corrected 1. me. For... Tit- Titanfall 2, Battlefield 1 in 2016. Yes. And EA is, is I think EA is... And this might be also Activision as well, but EA is eventually going to be like the Disney of gaming in terms of Disney owns all these studios and they have a movie coming out every two to three weeks. And that's basically what EA is going to be like is they have so many games that have the same genre coming out at the same time. And so the good example is Apex Legends, which is a battle royale game comes out out of the blue and anthem is a big it's not gonna be the same kind of game it's not a it's not a a uh battle royale still, it kind of feels the same though because you know it's like a futuristic you know planet shooter yeah it's a futuristic shooter that it's a we'll, we'll just put it as a shooter they're both shooters coming out at the same time now i, I think, think there's gonna i think they're both gonna be aiming at basically the people who really like apex legends 
that style of game won't like Anthem, and the people who really like Anthem, that style of game, like Destiny, won't like Apex Legends. But you're still dividing the people who like first-person shooters. I have noticed uh, since I was still playing Call of Duty Blackout, uh, it took about a week. But after about a week of Apex Legends being out, you could see a huge difference in how quickly you got into matches in Call of Duty. So they're definitely sucking up players. Well, yeah, I mean, from other games in one what was it in one day or in eight hours? It was already already over a million concurrent players. And now they're at like eight, eight million concurrent. Yeah, it's it's. So you thought Damn. you thought like Fortnite was crazy fast and how it exploded. Apex Legends is no, I know it's is, I know it's growing yeah. faster than Fortnite. Yeah, I I, I know it's just crazy. Hmm. Well, I mean, I kind of think about that with video gaming in general, like just the sheer number of games that get released. Um, you know, like Chris was talking about Far Cry New Dawn coming out. Like that came out. It's like I didn't even. <sighs> yeah, I didn't even know that was on the radar at all, and it came out. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm still trying to finish Red Dead. I mean, it's it's just insane. Like I don't know. It's if maybe not just EA, but just gaming in general. There's so many huge games, and you know, like they try to release every game in October for some reason. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I'm still catching up. Like on my list, like I'm, I'm finally playing the latest was Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god, that game came. Is that, any, that game is came that out a year ago. I, I like it a lot. Um, but I've uh, always liked September. The, I've always liked September. the uh, the newer Tomb Raiders. I've always liked them a lot. There's, it's still not as good as the first rebooted Tomb Raider. That's how I felt about part two as well. And well, part two has got had some problems with like its hub world thing. Um, but they kind of fixed that in the third one. But the reason why none of them is gonna be up to the first one is because there's no river blood that you have to wade through. <laughs> and that scene just like stuck with me, like yeah, in in that game. If you if if y'all have if no if the people listening have not played those rebooted tomb raider games play them they are freaking amazing yeah i would say that uh the rebooted two, i well of the two i've played i would say that i think they're better than the third and fourth uncharted games yes laura yes. croft is actually by herself most of the time whereas in uncharted you can tell they want to make a movie instead of a video game it's like blah 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 like yeah so and i think the action is I think the action's better in, in Tomb Raider than uh, Uncharted as well. Well, it's not 50% climbing simulator, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, because in, Unchar- in Uncharted, they create all these situations just to justify why there's a character with you. You know, it'll be like, hey, help me push this bookcase. Or the character will climb up there and kick a rope down to you, right? They yeah, create yeah, all yeah. these, like, roadblocks to just they're not there for gameplay purposes. They're to justify why someone is tagging along with you. And the reason someone's tag. So they want to have a ton of dialogue in the game. They're like, okay, well, someone's got to be hanging out with Nathan Drake. Okay. Why are they hanging out with Nathan Drake? Oh, I don't know. Cause he needs help. Yep. How do they help him? Okay. They kick down rope ladders and pull uh, the new God of war was just like that as well. Yeah. With the kid um, boy. I mean, with the boy, yeah, it's like the the amount of dialogue in these modern games is insane. 
Yeah, yeah. And like, it's probably like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of scripts. And the thing is, though, is Tomb Raider has lots of dialogue, but it's done through her talking on a radio to someone. And so you don't need that other person to be there. Well, it also hurts the immersion for me uh, because you're having to fight the enemies and your teammate pretends to fight them. Oh, yeah. And they can't do fucking jack shit. Yeah, they don't do anything, but they also can't die. Yes. And I, th- it worked better, like, in Bioshock Infinite. I think they did a better job of that. Where Oh, because she's she, always... Well, cause she goes off and hides and then yeah. and then comes back out. Yeah, so that works. Yeah, because she, she's not really... Well, she helps you, but it's kind of different. I mean, it's like she only she only really interacts. She, she doesn't pick up a gun and start shooting at people, right? Yeah. And... So she just tosses you stuff every so often. It felt a lot more organic. Correct. Instead of shoehorned like it does in the and Uncharted I, I think games. it's it's I think in that game in Bioshock Infinite how they made it work is in fights you don't see her unless she's giving you something. Right. Like, I think they actually basically despawn her off the screen. I think so too. There's probably yeah. I think they despawn her until like it's just like Booker catch and then you like click the E button and then you turn around and then there she is. It's like the Slender Man game where. They basically just, you know, spawn him into where he needs to be, even if it doesn't actually make sense from a physics standpoint. Yep. But you'll see you'll see that like in Red Dead, like you'll call your horse and then you look on the minimap and the horse will be zooming up at like 90 miles an hour. <laughs> the icon, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Until it gets within visual range, then he slows down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, going back to the EA thing, so... I mean, obviously Apex Legends have been in development for a while, but do you think maybe they're hedging their bets against the Battlefield Battle Royale not not doing anything? Well, I think Apex Legends came out at the time it did because EA's stock is, like, in the toilet. Well, Activision, too. I mean, both of them have been hammered lately. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and so they're as, like, as have been most tech stocks. Sure. So EA is thinking, like, hey – we need to push something out and like push our stock back up and then like oh we have this apex legends thing that a the b team basically of titanfall has been working on and let's push that out and so they push it out and it's a big Oh hit. yeah cuz respawn is still doing uh jedi game Correct. right yeah yeah you know what bugs me i see these things on youtube and people are like disney should take the star wars license from ea and it's like you think Disney is a better corporation than EA? They're both <laughs> big, giant corporations. Yep. I mean, if I, honestly, I, I kind of think like the Star Wars game license is kind of a poison chalice. Like, has EA really had a huge amount of success with it? No. I mean, they had that. What was that? What was that MMO that cost a billion dollars? But EA didn't oh. do that one. No, that was a no. That was a Bioware game. It was a that was before not, Bioware not was bought by EA though. It, but it was made by Bioware. The it was like 2011. Do you remember? It was like the Old Republic or something. Star Wars: The Old Republic. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, that was Bioware before they got bought by EA, so it has nothing to do with EA. But EA was the publisher. Sure. That just and just because a studio is not owned by a publisher does that does not mean the publisher isn't funding the game. Sure. Anyway, they spent a fortune on that game. It was like the most expensive game ever made until Grand Theft Auto V came out. And I don't think it... I think, well, I think it did better once it went free to play. Yeah, I think it was 
financially successful eventually, but not and like as what they wanted it to be. The first Battlefront reboot did actually did really well. I mean, everyone complained about it, but it did quite well. And I, I would assume it. the second one, second one didn't do as well. The second one did not because it went into loot box hell. That was one of the first games that kind of like started this loot box revolution kind of thing. But then you know what happens is. So they take out the loot boxes and then they're like cosmetic only DLC. And then people on YouTube bitch about that. It's like no matter what, people on YouTube will bitch because they hate EA and Activision. They should just increase the price of video games then. I agree. I mean, it's just like uh, – see, I, 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 I think my mom stopped buying me video games when I was like 13 or 14. So I would mow lawns, get jobs, do chores, whatever – and buy games with my own money. Yeah, that's so how. Like, my, my parents were very anti-video games. Uh, yeah, I did mine not, too. Yeah, I didn't get a video. I didn't. I wasn't allowed to buy a video game console until I was twelve, and me and my brother bought a N sixty four. Yep. And yeah, so that was the thing is we basically would. You're you're talking about buying games. I couldn't even buy games. I we me and my brother would rent games because that's the only way we could get games. Well, I, I, yeah, I used to rent games all the time too, um, but no, I, but I would still buy games. But I'm just saying, I've been buying games at the store with my own money since 1989 ish, so I know the price history. And you know, a triple A AAA Nintendo game or Genesis game in 1990 was fifty dollars. And so well, remember I think how about much that. A, how much a big stink it was when it went from fifty to sixty dollars? When, when was that? Like two thousand six, two thousand five? The Xbox three hundred and sixty did it. Okay. And right. uh, so yeah, speaking of that, um, so yeah, um, going going back to topic, Apex Legends, I think it's going to sink Anthem just from a first-person shooter taking away that market. I think the issue with Anthem, I feel bad saying this because I actually sold two controller monitors to BioWare, um, but uh, I think the it's it's basically trying to be Destiny. but And that ship has de- sailed? That style yes, of game? Yes, the, de- the Destiny genre was over even when Destiny 2 came out. And... Yeah, I think that's going to be the issue with Anthem. So it's, I got to play... It'd be like making a Battle Royale game in 2025. Yeah, so I got to play Anthem, and I got to play Destiny... I didn't play the first Destiny game. I played Destiny 2, because Jones mm-hmm. says it was, said it was free, and so I went and downloaded it, and I played it for about three hours. Mm-hmm. And Destiny 2 reminded me of Halo. Because uh, everything... The big thing with Halo for me at least, is everything's floaty. Uh, how yeah. the physics is. And I do not... I like That's like, I hate that in video games. Another, uh, so another I, thing... Oh, uh, so I, So I... I basically said I do not like how the physics are in Destiny 2, so I stopped playing it. And then I picked up Anthem. And I played the, the beta. And I like that game. It's the same kind of game... But the physics are compl- and how the guns work are completely different. And it's- I mean, you're basically Iron Man on an alien planet, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, basically. And- oh, like in Avengers: Infinity War. And so it's like it's basically Des- it's Destiny Two with a 
physics that I prefer is how it is. And I'm probably going to pick up because I always like that kind of game because it reminds me of a lot of of um, uh, Borderlands. It's that it's the same kind of game where it's a it's a semi open world thing with a lot of baddies to shoot and you pick up loot. That's what it is. And I really like Borderlands because the the gun physics were really good and how you moved around was really cool and the humor was there. And the story in Borderlands is really good. Whereas in Destiny 2, everything is floaty and I I've always hated that at all like all the time. Yeah, and speaking of Halo, it's kind of like Call of Duty as well and I, I noticed that playing Call of Duty Blackout. Um I would call it or it's like even like Goldeneye it's a whole. It's like who can hold their cursor over the enemy longer? Oh yeah, right? yeah. It's it's you basically pull the trigger and then keep the cursor on the enemy, and whoever does it the longest sinks the most bullets, and then that person dies. And that's like a Halo thing. It's a Call of Duty thing. It was a thing in GoldenEye it's a back thing in, in the Apex day. Legends. Yeah, especially with all those shields. Yep. That and that's the thing is I'm and Anthem is like that a little bit, but since it's PVE only that's yeah. fine uh that's like how borderlands is as well as borderlands has well i mean it, well. it makes sense in that case because you know you have to you know well you you can have fewer enemies on screen if it takes more bullets to kill them yeah i will say like the i the one the one good thing that i like about battlefield 5 even though i think it's pretty much a whiff you know otherwise yeah the gunplay is really good like you aim your gun you squeeze a few bullets off the person's dead yep that's why I always liked about the Battlefield much series. Only good thing about it. <laughs> that, that, that's why I've always liked about the Battlefield series is, I, I bullets. Uh, what was it like a bullets? Pe- when people are bullet sinks, it's never fun. At least for me. Yeah. And like, I always felt like, well, that's one thing. I know you didn't like it as much, but one thing I really liked about Battlefield One. It's going back to the physics. The guns all felt really real. Oh you know? yeah, I'll put this you way. could almost smell the grease on them. My problems with Battlefield One are not that, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, but it's but yeah, it's like you know you got like these bolts and like the clip comes out and there's dirt on it and like it makes you feel like you're in the world, you know? Like it, it, the, it even though you're just interacting with, with the keyboard and mouse, it feels like there's weight to it, mm-hmm. not floatiness. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've just never really liked the even back in the day with um unreal tournaments i was never a big fan of unreal tournament i was always a counter-strike you know style of player so yeah well cool um so yeah i don't know if well yeah ea is definitely competing with itself with apex legends and uh anthem but again you could also say that they're hedging their bets remember Correct. everyone was like so down on ea but then all the pundits love Apex Legends for some reason. It's really because really interesting. Because EA paid everyone to like it. They did. I mean, that's I would say Apex Legends is like a textbook example of how to pull off a influencer marketing scheme. They they do influencers for all the games now because not new story. like not like Apex though. Apex okay. was. The only marketing was influencer marketing for like it's, the first. It day. still pretty much came out of nowhere. Well, that's the whole thing is no one knew about it, and they paid influencers on Twitch to play this game when it came out. Oh, you mean like Ninja and Shroud and all those? Yeah, dudes? all those 
people who make okay. their money playing video games. <laughs> hey, who who wouldn't want to make their money? Hey, I'm not making fun of games. them. I'm just making fun of that's actually a thing, which is fine. So you're just you're just jealous. Oh yeah, I'm totally jealous. I'm not going to lie. Well, yeah, yeah. Who um, wouldn't be jealous? Anyway, what was I gonna say? Uh, so I, I guess we'll have to see what happens. Like I kind of have a feeling that the battlefield battle royale is going to be a dud i do you think even dice is going to finish that because it got delayed the um the live service for battlefield 5 is really nothing as i expected it's basically just assignments and skins and guns they haven't released i think they've only released two new maps or one new map so i mean you combine like underwhelming sales i mean everyone on youtube is like oh seven million copies and they're upset it's like seven million copies is not that good if you're paying 500 people to work two years on a game i mean it's super expensive to do this stuff mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i mean i'll i'll try uh i'll try the the battle royale for that because a lot of people were, were saying that oh it's only 64 players but then apex is only 60 players and people think that's the bee's knees yeah i would say the biggest problem with apex is the only three people on your squad yeah then it seems like the game is like really set up for that too you know like how they have the three banners yeah and yeah because yeah it would be nice if they had solo quad solo quads and duos i I would agree i would say i i just want quads yeah just four people squads that's that's another thing uh the battlefield uh, battle royale is squads only Ooh, that's kind of cool. So 16, 16 squads of four. You know, you see, I don't, I don't agree with that because um, that means you have to like. Well, think about it. It's a game like, like what Mike and I were the, like. You didn't buy it. Jones didn't buy it. Like all, only a few of us bought Battlefield Five. So there's fewer people to play it, which means it's harder to fill up a squad of four with people you actually know without having randos. That's true. Yeah. So. That's I would consider that a negative. Whereas Apex Legends, everyone on my origin list has that game because it's free. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, do you want to hit this final topic? New retro 8-bit computers? Sure. All right. So you brought this one up. So why did you bring it up? So I brought it up because you built a Gigatron, which is an 8-bit computer. I assembled a Gigatron. That's true. Assembled. And so I really I, I get eight bit computers in the retro aspect for nostalgia, like an Atari eight um, bit computer. But these there's a ton of if you go online and look for like eight bit computer kits, there's tons of these things. So what what are what is the purpose of these things? I think it's to make you feel uh, nostalgic, you know, toward, you know, computers of your youth. I mean, like most of my nostalgia from my youth is like computers and video games. But if you make a new computer, there's really no nostalgia for it because it wasn't around in the 80s. Correct. You know, and it doesn't have the games that you grew up playing or the software. So there's this... um, uh, you probably didn't follow, but there was a scandal about like this Coleco Chameleon game console. Coleco in, in Chameleon. Classic game. I do not know. About yeah, that. so there's this there's this guy named Mike Kennedy, and he 
ran GameGavel.com, which is like eBay just for games. And then he wanted to make a new cartridge-based system. And I remember he called me and asked about it, too, or I got my opinion. And all I could think the whole time was, like, why, right? Yeah. So I'm the same way with just these 8-bit kit computers. It's yeah. why. Well, yeah, let, yeah. So let me just finish this thought. So, you know, he thinks that the um, the nostalgia is for cartridges, like themselves, so he's like, oh, I, we're going to make new games and put them on cartridges, and the system will use cartridges. And it's like, but you can't create nostalgia for something new. Correct. People people aren't nostalgic for a PCB. They're nostalgic for Super Mario Brothers or Contra. Yes. You know, or Sonic the Hedgehog. And that, that uh, you know, I thought that was a, you know, fundamentally flawed concept. And then what he did was he didn't, I think he... He either canceled that Kickstarter or turned it into the Coleco Chameleon, which is where he bought the mold for the Atari Jaguar, and then he was going to make. Uh, Wait, someone owned the mold for the Atari Jaguar. Yeah, yeah. So he he bought that, and then he <laughs> was go- he was going to basically make a Coleco branded console using the Atari Jaguar shape, but then there was a, a he took it to a show. And people realized he had just taken the PCB of a Super Nintendo Mini and stuck it inside a shell. And then he was, like, done. Like he, did, he didn't realize that the internet's the internet. Like, he showed a, a picture of their prototype PCB. And it was and it, and it was just a no, Super no, Nintendo? No, a different time. Okay. So, yes, he, he took it to a trade show. And he, yes, he put... Put a Super Nintendo Mini motherboard inside of a Jaguar shell, and you actually had to put black duct tape around the back of it so you couldn't see that it stuck out. But then he's like, "Well, here's our real prototype," and he showed a picture of a circuit board. And the, it took the internet like three tenths of a second to realize it was a DVI capture card <laughs> for a computer. And then he was pretty much done. Wow. Uh, but no, his big thing was, you know, it's it's you know it's it's going to have cartridges. And, well, you know, I think I think it's dumb. Like when people say cartridges loaded instantly, that's not true either. Not true. Don't tell anyone. No, that's just what people who are uh, fanboys, I think, is the right term for it. Yes, I mean, well, some cartridges load instantly, but not all. Like, uh, well, Contra, Contra had an 8K SRAM on the uh, video side of the cartridge, and it would actually decompress the image data between stages and then load it into the SRAM for the characters. Mm. Yeah. So oh, that didn't load instantly. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so I, I assembled the Gigatron because the people contacted me. They're like, Hey, uh, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I've, I've heard of this. I, I would love to take a look at it. And they're like, we can send it to you already assembled. I'm like, hell no. Uh, yeah. So I put it together and I made a video of it. I put it on YouTube. And then I'm going to make another video where I actually try to do something with it. Like, you know, play the games. Or, Well, I don't really care about the games. I would rather just put it on the scope and see what it's doing under the hood. Gotcha. Like, it does. Like it has a 6.25 uh, 6. crystal. And then I realized that's how they're doing the VGA. They're basically just running VGA at one-fourth uh, clock rate. Hmm. Because remember, there's no there's no pixel clock for VGA. You just have to hit the uh, horizontal and vertical sync pulses yep. at the right time. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I would just be cool, like just to probe it and show what it's doing, and yeah, 
I've I've really wanted to get like the RC two thousand fourteen Z eighty kit. You ever see that one? Yeah, that that's another one of those that are out there. So what's your take on it? Well, of course you're you didn't grow up in the eight bit era. No, no, I didn't. And well, you were just a baby. And well, it's it's also pocket. It reminds me of like it's just like it's like it's one of those why questions. It's like sure you can build it, but is there a computer is only as good as the software that runs on it. Yeah, and it's like what else is there to do with it after you build it? Turn it on and see the splash screen. And so you're saying you're saying that you don't agree with it when it's just a new system that has no software support. Well, it's like it doesn't have any games, doesn't have anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. so what about really something like the point to it? Besides, you know, it doesn't hit. It's not nostalgia from the from like you growing up from the eight bit era. Cause it's not an Atari eight bit computer. It's something new. That just happens to have the same amount of bits. Well, yeah, I think it's it, it can be nostalgic in that here is how computers worked back then. I mean, they still technically work the same way, but uh, I think that can be nostalgic. Like, oh, like for me, I enjoy those kind of projects because like now I understand how the computers I use as a kid worked. Okay. Right? I can see that. So it's, it's kind of like digital archaeology in that sense. But – you're right, but then ultimately people end up putting like Microsoft Basic on it anyway, or or they if they're doing like a Z80 project, they put CPM on it again so they can run software. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually want to uh, <laughs> here's here's uh, I, I want to make like a like a TTL uh, video chip, you know, kind of like the Gigatron, but basically like try to make like the Nintendo's PPU, okay, but with seven four series logic. Yeah, like that's something I would really. I was thinking about doing for fun. There's no reason to do it <laughs> except for I would find it interesting. Well, no, that's fine. Is if you find it interesting, there's nothing wrong with that. That's it's just one of those things from someone who, I guess, from the outside looking into it, it's like why is something like that exciting and interesting? It's like sure, I, th- I think it boils down to someone wanted to build an eight bit computer. And they did mm-hmm. it, and then they just made a kit for it, and then you can just buy it. Well, I think with the Gigatron, it kind of demystifies computers. It's like here's like, obviously, it's an incredibly simple computer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like here's how a computer actually works. So it's it's kind of like looking at it under a microscope. You know, like oh, that's mm-hmm. that's what a cell looks like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's probably why people find it interesting. But then, but then, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to make games for the Gigatron. Although you can load games into it. What what about the Arju Boy? You know that thing. I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing? I I still haven't made a game for mine. It's sitting right here on my desk. Well, I got the, I I bought it because of the game mm-hmm. that it came with. Oh yeah, because you were saying that you were playing that quite a bit and. I, I thought the game was very interesting because it was that thing is the game itself the the actual hardware I didn't care about it was the the actual game reminded me a lot of like Game Boy because I had a Game Boy uh, a Game mm-hmm. Boy era RPG style game mm-hmm. kind of like Pokemon um at least how the tiles set up is and so that was nostalgia for me but only the software 
it wasn't the actual hardware itself. I mean, it could it could have been a game I downloaded on my PC and I would have played it. <laughs> right. So, um, I think it goes back to just like you know how many people will play that game. Like, who know? I mean, how many RG boys have they sold? Who knows? I mean, they probably sold a couple thousand at least. I would think. Yeah, yeah. The Kickstarter was successful, so I still want to make a game for it. I just don't know what game to make. That's my problem. I, the only thing I did was I programmed a tile scroller, and that's it. I mean, I did take it apart and figure out how they made it, and like, because it has a really thin lithium battery in it, which is really cool, and mm-hmm. and a, there's a piezo in it too, someplace, right? Yeah, and so I really like the construction of it, but yeah, it's nice. But yeah, it wasn't like the like the form factor is like you know a mini Game Boy, but. I remember how awful like the Game Boy screen was. So like the actual hardware for a Game Boy, I don't care care about. But like the games, I I do care about. I guess it'd be kind of similar into that vein. But it's like one of those why. It's like why I would never <laughs> like I would never design my own console because then there's no hardware or no software for it. But that's what I would write for it. Yeah, and I think that was the problem with that Mike Kennedy consoles like. It doesn't matter if there's hardware. Like you have to. Oh, there has to be software. You know, uh, fuck. What what's, what was that console called? Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same exact thing happened. Well, it actually had some, you know, some games, but yeah. Well, what they could buy. So I, I noticed today. I still have two of those underneath my TV in the living room, hooked up. No, they're just kind of sitting there. I've got it. I I actually still have it in box. Uh, uh-huh. I have all the original. I actually really like the controllers. The controllers are. They got some kind of chintzy feel to them, but like they work really well as Bluetooth controllers. You could use them for anything you wanted. Yeah. Now that I guess Ouya's done, didn't Razer buy them? Oh, they actually got bought out. So yeah, somebody bought them. Yeah. Then I guess they. Completed their mission as a startup. You know what we should do, Parker? <laughs> we should have like an Arju Boy programming contest and like live stream it or something. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Make a game. Yeah. Actually, Steven and I are working on a uh, text-based like Zork game. And we could port it possibly That's to... kind of redundant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. But most some people don't know what Zork is, so... That's why my explanation was. There. I would hope anyone listening to this podcast would know what Zork is. So, we we're, we're working on a Zork based game right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess we could port it to the Arger Boy. How would you input text? Just like scroll through options or something? Yeah, you can just scroll through all the options. I installed Colossal Cave Adventure on my web server. Oh yeah. Yeah. Has anyone played it? So, no, no, they can't. It's it's just installed on the Linux system, so I can terminal in and play oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I also I also I also installed. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, I can do this. So I'm going to do it. I also installed Rogue, not roguelike, Rogue like Rogue. Yeah, <laughs> the original the Rogue. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So if you want to no. help us, um, instead of doing the RG board thing, you can help us um, do our Zork game. 
What's the premise of it? It's a sci-fi Zork game. A uh, 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 sci-fi. Uh, um, you are a you programming it on or for like the so web it's going to be actually a um we're actually going to it's going to come on a thumb drive stick that you plug in and it's a com port and so it's got a little bit of hardware to it so is there a microcontroller yeah in so it? basically there's a microcontroller on it and everything's on the microcontroller and then we're gonna have oh. then we're gonna have LEDs on the um, stick, so that they we don't know exactly what they will do in the game, but they will be part of the game. Didn't didn't one of your one of the convention badges you make it, it had that it had that Correct. too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what what what's the hardware? We don't know because it doesn't really matter. It's gonna we're gonna write it and see. So. Mm-hmm. Um, basically we're going to write it and then write a big chunk of it and see how much like ram and rom we need and then pick something because <laughs> all it is need to be is be a you know it needs to make a com port when plugged into a usb so yeah, i remember the old infocom games uh they took up like at least two or three discs and it would always access a disc when you type something uh for some reason I don't know why. So it'd be kind of like this suspense where you're like, oh, is it going to actually parse that and do something? <laughs> so you, you would have like take lamp and it'd be like, <laughs> okay. And so we were going to actually do all the sound through the, it'll have like a, a speaker on it as well. So all the sound. On the dongle. Yeah. So basically we're making a, a Zork dongle thing and it's kind of for fun. Why don't you just use the same uh, microcontroller that's in the RG Boy? That way you get USB built in. Um, we could. What's the RG Boy use? A 32U4? Yeah, so basically if it's yeah. Arduino, Arduino yeah, Leonardo. Yep. Um, sure, yeah, we can use that. I mean, it's it's one of those where like we don't really care what the hardware is because it doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. We're not going to be using a microcontroller and some specific feature of that microcontroller, right? Yeah, you just need it. You just need serial. We just need serial, and it, you might you might want to put in a separate double EEPROM I squared C possibly. Yeah, we we're going to so have more text or something. We're actually going to use that for storing states. But that microcontroller has an EEPROM on it. It will wear out fast. It doesn't have actual. It has flash, not. Are you sure on the app on the app mills? I think so. Or is that a picks I'm thinking about? You're thinking of pick. Okay. So yeah, we could probably just store everything on it. We'll see what happens. We'll basically start writing it and see how much data we actually need. All right. Oh, you should do uh, like Huffman encoding and like to encode the data or the text even further. I don't think we really need to do that with modern compilers now. It will it will figure out the best way to compact it on its own. Okay. So. Sounds cool. Yeah. So if you want to help us with that, you can. What do you want me to do? Uh, I think at this point, I'm actually going up there to Colorado in April. And we're going to write the story for it first. Okay. And I don't know if you want to be part of that or not, but yeah, where, where, whatever you want to help us out with, 
you can't. Maybe I could write a parser or something. So I, I, I used to write like my own basic text adventure games like in the 80s. Yeah. So, so you, many years ago. So, yeah. And you, you'd probably have some pretty good ideas for our game as well, the story. Um, so, yeah. Well, you should make it like the thumb drive is like a character or it's like the portal to another dimension or something. Yeah, we were thinking know, like, about how to incorporate it because we want like colored elite, like an RGB LED or multiple LEDs. Yeah. And that plays part like if you're like hacking something because we kind of want it to be like cyberpunky world ish and mm -hmm. so like if you're hacking something you have to look at the colors and type in like stuff and we want the dongle to be part of the game and yeah. used yeah i mean it would be very 80s if it's like you know you're on your way home from school and you find this alien dongle laying in the forest and you plug it into your computer and then a magical world of wonder awaits <laughs> or like it's or like maybe it's like that the, is very communication <laughs> yeah or like it's a communication device that's left by a dead alien and but yeah make the dongle i mean not just that it flashes and stuff but make make it like part of the story like the fact that you've picked up this dongle is your connection into another world okay yeah i like that idea Cool. Well, hey, uh, we should probably wrap up the podcast since that has nothing to do with electric cars. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, you know, Parker, by making this device of which you speak, I mean, you are kind of making something retro. A little bit, but it is also something that's like, like, I don't have any nostalgia to that kind of thing. So. But a lot of people do. And a lot of people do. Honest. And that's the funny thing is, like, the first time I ever played Zork was like three years ago. So it's not even really nostalgia for me. I just kind of like that style of storytelling. Well, at the very least, have some headers on it so it can act as a dev board. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is a dev board. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to the latest podcast. I guess we'll see if Parker gets his Zork dongle finished, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Later, everyone. Bye.